You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Paula Doyle-Weigel is a registered nurse who was diagnosed with breast cancer. Four years ago, she started taking cannabis oil, but it wasn't without its problems. She joins us from Medicine Hat, Alberta, to tell us her story. Paula, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's start at the beginning. Take us through your diagnosis of breast cancer. So I was diagnosed um, in August 2012. Um, I had just finished um, my second Ironman competition six weeks prior to my diagnosis. And I found a lump in the left lower quadrant of my breast, right where my sports bra would rub. And I thought that it was just due to being in the drop so long um, training and running with my sports bra rubbing on that spot. But in the back, I kind of knew subconsciously that this was not good. Um, Being in the business that I am, I... um, have a lot of people in my life that are healthcare professionals. So I text the surgeon friend that I have, and this was a Friday night. And by Monday, I was in having an ultrasound and seeing him. And a week later, I had lumpectomy, and it came back that I had stage one breast cancer, grade three, which is very aggressive. And two weeks after that, because the margins didn't come back clean, I had partial mastectomy. And then the margins came back clean. It wasn't in my nodes, so it was still stage one. So because I worked at the hospital, um, I just kind of went through the process of going to see the oncologist. They sent a prostate specialist down from Edmonton to see me because at that time our oncologist had left. And he basically was the same old story, shoving stats in front of my face. And I told him, I don't want to see your stats. I don't believe in them. I did clinical research for 10 years. I know how these stats can be skewered. And I just don't want to put that into my my conscious. I asked him um, about where his stance was on nutrition and exercise and stress reduction, because I knew that that was a huge part of a cancer diagnosis. And he just looked at me and said, there's no scientific evidence of that. So he lost me right there. My husband said to me, if you could have seen your face, he knew, like the oncologist knew that I was not going down that road. Um, I asked him about nutrition because I'm also a nutritionist and it's been an important part of my life, all my life. And he said that there's no evidence that red meat causes cancer, that toxins cause cancer. I said, okay. And he said, so you need to start education next week and chemo the following week. What did he mean by, sorry sorry to interrupt, Paula, what did he mean by education? Oh, so here in our cancer clinic, before you have, we go through the conventional treatment, um, they bring you in and you go to education days for a week. So I'm not really sure what that consists of because I'm, I didn't do it, 
but I imagine they're just educating you on what can happen during that therapy. He did tell me that my white count could drop and I'd be, you know, admitted to hospital, infections, all that stuff. And I just, I just looked Mm -hmm. at him and said, this makes no sense to me at all. My immune system is already suppressed from my Ironman stuff and running. And my mom at the time also had cancer, esophageal cancer with Mets to the liver. So I was helping my dad nurse her and just like under a lot of stress. So basically, I told him I'm not doing it. And I'm going to the Mayo Clinic. I have my pathology sent there for a second opinion. And he said, if the Mayo Clinic tells you you have to do chemo, are you going to do it? And I said, no, I'm not doing it. So long story short, I didn't do any of that. I researched for three months before I picked a place to go. And I went to Mexico to Dr. Castillo's clinic in Tijuana. And I was there for three weeks and had IV therapies and stem cell therapy. And he told me that I was fine to come back in a year. Well, my mom passed away five months after my diagnosis. So that was in January. And three weeks later, my lump came back. So I knew that it was emotional. I knew that it was time for me to, I guess, face the fact that I had a cancer diagnosis. I was still running. I still felt good. I didn't feel sick. And my mom obviously was like sicker than me. So I just kind of put my diagnosis on the shelf. So when she passed, I had to deal with what was going on. I ask. I think this is a really important message that I want to get across about workplace. I paid into disability. I was nursing at the time for 20, 21 or 22 years when I had my diagnosis. And after my mom passed in January, I worked um, up until March and I asked for short-term disability because I was doing Gerson therapy, which I was juicing for two years, uh, 13 times a day. Every hour of fresh pressed juice, I was doing five coffee enemas a day. If you know anything about that therapy, it's very, very strict and rigid. So I had to be at home. That's when I started um, cannabis oil. Corey pointed me in the right direction to get access to that. So I was denied short-term disability. They told me that I wasn't doing the conventional treatment, chemo and radiation. I could not go on disability. So that really, that was a big, like, learning, a learning curve for me. I was very, very angry at the system, and there wasn't anything that I could do about it. Um, So as long as you went along with the conventional treatment, they were fine with giving you disability, but if you wanted to heal yourself in your own way, they wouldn't allow it, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly uh, Paul, I've heard this story over and over again with patients, and I think it's a really important message to get out there yeah, so, so that people are aware it, of it. After mom passed and I started doing all this alternative therapy, like clearing my body of toxins and whatever, that's I really crashed. Like I really got fatigued, and a lot of it was emotional stuff with mom's passing and me going through what I was going through. And I just felt like the whole system was like not supporting me at all. So I went to my doctor and I said, like, I can't nurse this. It's not safe for me to do this. I don't have the time because of the therapies that I've chosen. 
So he gave me a sick note and I was off work until June. And I know that I remember my stomach just feeling horrible when that time was approaching and thinking there's no way I can go back. Like I'm, I've committed myself to Gerson therapy for two years. I can't be high working. I'm going to do this cannabis oil until I'm cleared. There's no evidence of disease. So June came along and my husband said to me, why are you even entertaining the thought of going back? You know that that's part of your healing. You need to quit that job. But it's easier to say than do because that was life. That, That was my independence and who I was, really. So I did. I quit. I went in and I just basically threw my badge down and said, I'm done. I'm not coming back. And I had to grieve that. I felt like chunks of me were being ripped away. And it was just the whole process that I had to go through in healing my cancer. And now when I'm coaching other people, like my philosophy is very different than a lot, how a lot of other people think. And I believe that you have to heal emotionally, spiritually, and the physical will follow if you have enough time to do that. And it was just my, that was something that I needed to do. Um, I think that that's really important what you're bringing up there about the emotional journey. And, uh, you know, it's interesting studies show that people who are diagnosed with cancer, uh, I mean, I forget the percentage, a large percentage of the people have had something really big happen in their life in the previous year or so, like, you know, i.e. divorce, loss of a job, death of a loved one. And, you know, um, it manifests itself in disease, dis-ease in the body, right? And so it's that whole emotional level that needs to be healed as well as the physical, and the physical will follow. That's what I believe, and that's how I, I coach people now. So I am cleared of cancer. I don't have cancer anymore. Um, I did many, many modalities. I still do like a lot of self-care. And I had done self-care previous to this too. My cancer diagnosis, I know, was a way to basically hit me in the side of the head with the frying pan because I wouldn't wake up any other way. And to put me on to my life's purpose and that's what I'm doing now. I'm still nursing, but in a totally different way. My husband and I, he's an internist. Uh, we opened up a satellite clinic of the Calgary Natural Health Services here in Medicine Hat to give back to the community for the life that I have. Oncology told me that I wouldn't be here in two years if I didn't do the conventional treatment because it was an aggressive breast cancer. And like I told my husband, I'd rather quality of life than quantity. If I'm not here in two years, at least, you know, I wasn't sick through the, mm-hmm. the two years. Paula, so, in the, in, sorry to interrupt, but in the introduction, mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned that uh, you started taking cannabis oil, but it wasn't without its problems. And right. you had estrogen, progesterone-driven breast cancer. Tell us what happened when you started taking the cannabis oil. Okay, so um, I started taking it, and my lump was probably the size of a loony. Like, it appeared, like, overnight, just that size. And, and I for, didn't... And for our American listeners, it's about the size of a silver dollar. Right. In, yes. Yeah, loonies are usually politicians, but that's what we call our currency. <laughs> and for our Czech Republic listeners, it's the size of a kronen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, 
I started taking the cannabis oil, and at the time, we did not know that um, THC will feed the tumor. So I took it for eight months, and I watched my lump grow. It grew, and it grew, and it grew, and I did not want to have surgery again. So I just left it. Like, basically, I was doing everything I was doing, and it was growing until finally, like I was starting to lose use of my left arm. So I ended up having bilateral mastectomy two years ago, so two years after my diagnosis, and it had metastasized to my chest wall and my skin. And my surgeon, he basically didn't think that I was going to like live very long from having this metastasis. And how I got involved with natural health services is they're not a dispensary. They're, it's a government-run thing, and I have my own opinions about that too. But at least this way, licensed producers, I can get exactly what I want, what my body needs, the strain. So I get an indica, I get a three-to-one, I get a one-to-one ratio of CBD to THC, and I make my own cannabis oil for myself and my metastases has completely cleared. So you needed something that was high in CBD as opposed to THC. That's right. So yeah. ladies, can you explain this to me that I always thought that if someone had cancer that they needed cannabis oil in a high THC. Well, that was the that was the general thought when we first started on this and um, in most cases that was the case. And then we noticed, started having people like Paula um, with with hormone-driven, we should need to be clear here, we're talking about hormone-driven breast cancer that reacts right. reacts um, by sometimes gr- taking off and growing, it seems to push the cancer. So now when you're dealing with um, hormone-driven breast cancers, you're, you want a high T or a high CBD. Okay, let me ask right. you, let me ask both of you another ig- <coughs> ignorant question from a, a male. When you go to a doctor and you're diagnosed with breast cancer, maybe Paula, you can answer this. Do mm-hmm. do they tell you whether it's hormone driven or not? In the pathology, it's the only way you know. Okay. So if biopsy, which I refuse to biopsy, they can they can get it from that. Or if you have lumpectomy or breast removed, then that's where you get your pathology from. So yes, everyone should have a pathology report. So, Paula, can um, I get you to um, explain exactly what it is that you're taking then, CBD, THC-wise, and why? I get a bud um, called Elwin that's a 3 to 1 ratio of CBD to THC, and I get a Warlock, which is a 1 to 1 ratio, so a balanced ratio. They're both indica strains, and then I make my oil from that. And any breast cancer patients that are hormonal-driven... I make the same kind of oil for them. My other patients, I make different oil. And I do it all intuitively. So I I mix theirs up too. I infuse healing into it. They get a high THC, like 60 grams of high THC, 60 grams of a one-to-one. So they're getting CBD as well. And mm-hmm. I mix those two together to give them their medicine. So it, it, um, to be clear with people, you're doing CBD, but you're also doing some THC with it. In all cancers, except the hormonal-driven breast cancers, they all have 
it made out of, of like the highest THC they can get. So mm-hmm. 23, 25%. Mm-hmm. Plus I add in like the warlock that's a one to one. So they're getting CBD as well. Cause I feel that that's real. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I just intuitively feel very strongly that, um, like the research I've done and stuff, they need the CBD. Like that's what um, prevents blood vessel growth, metastases. So the two work in combination together. When you're mm-hmm. adding CBD as well, you don't get as high from the THC. Yes. So, so Paula, how did you discover these strains? Well, they're all like with the licensed producers. So. Once I got in with, once we opened our clinic here in the hat, then I started just seeing cancer patients and I send them to a specific licensed producer that we have a good relationship with. So they expedite everything for me. Like they're just really good to us with the the cancer patients. So that's how I found out about them just from the licensed producers and researching what they were growing and what I needed for specific cancers. So are they the ones that uh, suggested to you that strain that you get for yourself now, or did you pick that out? No, I knew. I just knew. Interesting, yeah. I want to uh, read for our listeners uh, a comment you made, which I found on your website, and I think it's very interesting. You said, my message, if you have a diagnosis of cancer, is to embrace it. It was given to you to become aware, to learn deeply and painfully at times of what your body needs. Sit with it and let every emotion boil to the surface again and again until you find peace within. Crying is cleansing. We need to shift the old paradigm thinking that we are weak if we cry. Never look at cancer as a fight. A fight implies your body has let you down, failed you. This is the time to love yourself more, not less. There is scientific proof that your cells hear and feel everything. If we view cancer as a war, something we need to fight to get rid of, the nervous and glandular systems respond to this creating more, not less negative energy. I found that very interesting. Uh, Paula, can you elaborate on that? Well, that's my philosophy for healing anything. Um, is that, and that's how I healed myself. So I, I'm a Hatha and Kundalini yoga instructor, and I used all all the things that I've learned, and I started gonging. I have a 32 inch gong that I purchased, crystal bowls, and I would just sit with myself in meditation, and I would visualize Pac Man inside me eating up every cancer cell. I still do a lot of visualization and with my patients as well, because I feel that if you don't go inside and get to the bottom of why you have this diagnosis, then all you're doing is putting a bandage over it. I don't care what modality or modalities you're using. If you're not willing to look at what has caused this, then you will not. I don't feel that you will heal. You might, you know, for five years or 10 years, but you hear and see all the time that cancers come back. And I believe that's why statement, but that's what I believe to my bones. I think you've got a a point there. Um, And visualization is incredibly powerful. Very, very powerful. I know children particularly do really well with visualization in cancer. Yes. 
Paula, mm-hmm. when when you have your uh, when, in your clinic in uh, Medicine Hat, and people mm-hmm. come in, what sort of issues are they uh, inquiring about to resolve? Um, okay, so first of all, our patient population is from two years old to ninety four years old. The majority of our patients are forty and up. And they're coming for chronic pain. A huge one is chronic pain. So fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, arthritis. They're coming for eczema, um, psoriasis, depression, ADHD, ADD, cancer, like all cancers. Absolutely everything you can think of. That's the patients that we're getting in. And the stories are incredible. And just seeing like... My husband is, he's not an emotional person, but he is so emotional over this clinic because of seeing patients come in. Like we had a lady with arthritis that came in with a walker and when she came for her six week follow up, she doesn't have a walker anymore. It's incredible. Like he cries with the patients. I'm always crying with the patients. They're always hugging us and they're just so grateful that we really know that this is like we are in service. This is what we're both meant to do. It's, I Which, guess it's very much like uh, what Corey and I are, are, are doing. We just exactly. Uh, yeah, Corey and I met when I was doing commercial radio, and now uh, we're doing this. And our hope is that we can help as many people around the world as we can through the stories that people like yourself, Paula, tell about using cannabis oil. And it's not only about using cannabis oil, as you've described. There are several other modalities, and you need to start eating more cleanly as well. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah, that's why I did the Gerson therapy. So I was vegan seven years before I was diagnosed, and a healthy vegan, like not junk food vegan. And obviously, I was in the best shape of my life. I bodybuilded. I competed. Like, all my life, I did all this so that's how how I know my cause of cancer was like an emotional one because I did everything that you would normally have to switch and do if you were doing alternative treatment. Yeah, and you cancer. were already there. I was already there, yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, in some of the things that you do, you have, uh, for example, the soda magnetic pulser, which uh, I have one too. It's a great instrument, great Mm -hmm. uh, device, isn't it? Yeah, so I have all those products, and I used to do that three times a day. All of the, like my life was basically healing myself. I was just a recluse, really. Corey, I want to ask you a question uh, that Paula mentioned that when she was visualizing and she's visualize, visualizing Pac-Man eating up the cancer, did you do much the same? Not this round of cancer, but back in the day, um, in 83, when I was diagnosed, I did, yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that one. Yeah. And uh, what happened during that process? Of, of visualizing. Did, did you take conventional treatment at that time? Oh, I had some laser therapy. In fact, this cancer that I was diagnosed with in 2011 was a metastasis from the original. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Paula, your husband, you said, was an internist. And uh, how has... Was it difficult to convince him that uh, cannabis was an alternative treatment for you? No, because I don't, I don't convince anyone of anything. Um, and he really respects my decisions. So when I was first diagnosed, he said to me, are you sure you don't want to do chemo and radiation? And I said, no, I don't. 
And he said, I have to ask you this because if something goes wrong, I don't want you saying to me, how come you didn't make me do chemo and radiation? And I just looked at him and said, Michael, you know that that's not my personality. When I make my mind up to do something, that's what I'm going to do. And that was the last of it. Um, Before I went to Mexico, so the first three months when I was researching, I could tell that he was a bit like he didn't know. He was scared, basically, because he probably thought I was going to die not doing chemo and radiation. When all this came about with the cannabis clinic here, I had nothing to do with starting this. He said to me, I think we should start a clinic here to help people. So him watching me over the past four, four and a half years, he has totally changed his practice, like totally. He's not um, on call anymore at the hospital. He dropped that to open this cannabis clinic and he still has his office like in the afternoons, Monday to Wednesday kind of thing. So I didn't have to convince him. He sees it. That's great. That's, that, what a neat story, you know, where, how far you guys have both come and where this is, you know, taking you both. Yeah, and I'll just quickly add that um, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, um, I am presenting an educational session for the nurses at hospital uh, at 9 a.m., and there's 50 nurses registered. Go, Paula, go. Amazing. And tonight, Michael's doing a talk for the physicians, and there's 25 physicians registered. That's amazing. Do you find, Paula, that uh, you and your husband are noticing an increased interest within the conventional medical community about cannabis? Well, I'll tell you, our community is very unique because the cancer clinic sends us patients. Really? And Dr. Foley, who works at our cancer clinic, is now working at the cannabis clinic with us. That's wow. amazing. It is amazing. This whole, that's how come I know that we are on purpose, that I don't have to think about it because everything is just falling into place. And we have probably, I would say, 98.5% buy-in in this community with the physicians, all of them. Like we have a pediatrician on board that looks after our young kids with seizures and ADHD, that kind of thing. And then with Dr. Foley joining us, and the oncologist sending us patients, it's it's pretty incredible. But once they start seeing patients in their office that have been to us and they're like chronic pain patients maybe and they don't have pain anymore, it's undeniable. So they have to like they have to accept it and that's what they're doing. They're they just keep sending more and more patients. So, Paula, you know I get uh, a number of calls and and, uh, emails every week. Um, Many of those are from people seeking help. Who do you accept? Do you just accept people from Medicine Hat? um, Or is it people from Alberta? Or they need to be referred by a local physician? Or what's the uh, process? We don't need a referral. Everything, we're not on net care. So, in in Alberta, that's... um, a place you can log into and find out like all the information, patient files on healthcare. So there is no worry about your family physician finding out or anyone else finding out that you're on medical cannabis, if that's an issue for you. And to come to us, we can see 
basically we can see anywhere, one in BC, Alberta, we've seen someone from Ontario. But if you're in Ontario, you have to actually come to our clinic and then we can Skype for the follow-ups. Okay. And that's a licensing thing. That's why. Mm. But BC, we can see people in all over Alberta. I know I have quite a few cancer patients from Calgary, which is three from me. And some of them have drove down just because we kind of specialize in that. Some of them have drove down and then I just do my follow-ups on Skype with them. Paula, have you seen the original oncologist you dealt with? No, I haven't. I've never seen just again. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I, I thought maybe that you may have run into him or her, and uh, and he may have been surprised that you're you're still alive and you're doing extremely well. Paula, it was uh, great to talk to you. I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it, Paula. That's Paula Doyle Weigel of Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. If you'd like to be a sponsor on Cannabis Health Radio. Contact us at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. And wherever you are listening to us in the world, we thank you, and we'll be back again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.